are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, good morning, Cold Lake. How are you doing? Everyone doing well? Keep them well? You know, uh, it's kind of neat to be here. Check my time. It is really neat to be here. I, I love coming to just visit you guys and hang out with uh, Pastor Lance and Cindy. And uh, it's been a privilege to just come and share God's word and, and to reconnect with Ernie. I met Ernie some years ago uh, at Middle and Nowhere Conference. Funny story, this is, what, this is pick on Ernie Day. I didn't plan this, but I made, like Leonard Rittenau, right? So, so we were at Middle of Nowhere Conference, and there were, you guys call them mosquitoes. I'm from Newfoundland, just to clear that up. We call them nippers, all right? And the nippers were everywhere. And Ernie was, uh, I remember seeing him at side stage, and he was like, he was just like going, he says, man, the, the mosquitoes, they're, they're just everywhere. They're eating me alive, he's saying. And I was like, I was like, Ernie, there's an easy way to fix it. Oh, is there a way? Because, like, they're killing me here. I need, I'm going to die soon. So I said, listen, Ernie, just go. When you go back to your hotel, grab a couple of bananas and just eat the bananas. That'll take care of, that'll take care of the mosquitoes. Really? I said, oh, that totally worked. So he goes, become, the next day he's there in the morning, and, man, he is dancing. Just kind of like that video. And just a givener trying to get rid of the mosquitoes. And I start laughing. I said, yeah, you know that whole banana thing? Well, all the potassium, I found this out from a guy that actually does a lot of work and stuff in the woods. And he said, all the potassium in the bananas come out in your blood, apparently, and it attracts mosquitoes. <laughs> so, yeah, but he got us back for that. There was another story. We don't have time to tell that this morning, but <laughs> he really did get us back for that. And, yeah, Dave Hall, our, our assistant superintendent, was in on that as well, and Dave was just mortified at the end of it. It was, it was quite funny, but we had a good time. But anyways, praise God. Well, let's get into God's Word this morning. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning. I've just been really praying. I, I've been, when Lance called me, oh, I don't know, a nice while ago now, probably a couple of months ago, and asked me to come and share, uh, I, I kind of wanted to say no. I'm just being honest with you, just brutally honest. I just kind of wanted to shut it down and say, you know what, I just, I just no, I don't, I just don't want to do that right now. I just kind of want to take a little bit of a break or whatever. But something inside of me wouldn't let me do that, so... I just really started to pray and, and ask God, Lord, what is it you want for your people today? And uh, God, God led me to the book of 2 Chronicles. So if you would turn in your Bible, we're going to go to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 28. You can just, get, just find that and uh, have a look at it, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. And we're just going to see what God's got to say to us this morning. So why don't we just uh, have a word of prayer. Father, Lord Jesus, I just honor you today. God, we come here, Lord Jesus, because we want to honor you. And Holy Spirit, right now, as we look into your word, Father, you see me. You see that I have nothing to offer these people in and of myself. Father, you see, Lord, my every frailty. You see, God, that I am nothing in myself, O oh God. But Father, God, we know that you are great. We know, Lord, that your word is forever settled in heaven. And now, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just anoint me to preach your word this morning. 
Father, I ask in Jesus' name, God, that it will go forth. Holy Spirit, I pray you would visit this place right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would walk him up and down the aisles in this place. God, I pray that you would go and touch in the, each person in every seat in this place. Holy Spirit, I just pray now, Father, that your word would go forth, God. That, Lord, it would, we would know today that we have heard from you. That, Father, we would know today that you are still King and Lord of all. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help me, Lord, to preach this word. Lord, help me to preach something, Lord, to preach, Lord, the what you want preached this morning, not what I want preached. Lord, I just pray, God, that it will be your words heard in this place and not my words. God, help me, Lord, never to condemn your people, but to love your people. Help me, Father God, to just preach your word, Lord, with, with honor and integrity. Help me, God, to give me the grace, God, to live it. Give me the grace, God, to even now in this moment to preach it for your glory and for your name's sake. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 28. I'm just going to read... Uh, a little bit here for you, if I can find it. I think I'll find it. Second Chronicles chapter 28. And I want to talk to you this morning about a guy by the name of King Ahaz. King Ahaz of Judah. And I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to read uh, a few verses. And then we're just going to comment on it as we, uh, as after I get it read. Chapter 28, starting at verse 1, it says this, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of the kings of, kings of Israel and also made cast idols for worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnon and sacrificed his sons in the fire, following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burnt incenses at the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. Therefore the Lord his God handed him over to the king of Aram, and the Armenians defeated him and took many of the people, many of his people as prisoners and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. And in one day, Pira, the son of Ramallah, killed 120,000 soldiers in Judah. And because Judah had because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Zikri, the Ephraimite warrior, killed Messaniah. Let me let me get that right. Messaniah, the king's son, Azakam, and the officer in charge of the palace, and Elkan, the second to the king. And the Israelites took captive from their kinsmen 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. Now we're going to go to verse 16. And at that time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. And the Edomites had again come and attacked Judah and carried away prisoners, while the Philistines had raided towns in the foothills and in the Negev and of Judah. Let's go down to verse 19. The Lord had humbled Judah because Ahaz, king of Israel, had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Now, verse 20, it says that at this point that King Ahaz contacts the king of Assyria. And it says that Assyria came to him, but he gave him trouble instead of help. And Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the princes and, from, and presented them to the king of Assyria. But it did not help him. And in, the time, and in his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. 
he had sacrificed for he offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him. So he thought, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them. So they will help me. And the Bible says, but they were his downfall and the downfall of all of Israel. In verse 24, Ahaz gathered together the furnishings of the temple of God and took them away. And he shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars in every street corner in Jerusalem. This is an amazing story this morning when we look at what's happening in this time. Today I want to speak to you about sacrificing a generation. Sacrificing a generation. So we see, of course, in First and Second Chronicles, we know that it is a, it is a history. First and Second Chronicles is, is the history of the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. And, of course, prior to that, you would see, you know, obviously, King David and Solomon and so on. Now, just, just to bring a little bit of clarity about what's been happening here, you can see that as you get into the book of Chronicles, especially right around, you know, like 1920, like those chapters, that there starts to become some division within Israel. After Solomon's death, there was this split. So there became two kingdoms in Israel. Now there's the northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom. Now these two kingdoms, in the northern kingdom, there was never ever a god uh, or, or a, a king, sorry, that worshipped the true god. They always, in the northern kingdom, they always worship the, the idols and, and the Baals, as the Bible called it. So the gods of, the, of their known world of the day. Now in the southern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Judah, so Israel was the northern kingdom, Judah was the southern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, there was a succession of good kings and bad kings, and good kings and bad kings, and kind of this, this flip-flop back and forth and back and forth. And this was ongoing for many years, many generations uh, during the time uh, of Israel. And during this time, there were also these great seasons of reform. There were great seasons when you would see like King Josiah, for instance, that, that found the book of the law. Whew. And, and you know that, that when he found that book of the law, he says, wait a second, this is something that our forefathers knew about. There were stories of this in our history of the great things that God had done. So, so you had these great kings. So there were times of this kind of revival and a renewal that would take place. But then it was also seen, always followed by these times of, of rebellion and, and just declension. It was just amazing what was happening. You could, it was hard to understand. In chapter 28, we're introduced to King Ahaz. And now Ahaz had been given an amazing opportunity. Ahaz had, been, had inherited a kingdom. Not only was it rich, but it was powerful at that time. Ahaz's grandfather, for instance, was Uzziah. And Uzziah is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah talks about his vision of the Lord. Uh, Uzziah was, was an amazing king, reigned in Israel for some 52 years. One of the longest reigning kings in Israel. Just did a phenomenal job. And then after, after Uzziah, uh, there would have been Ahaz's father, which was Jotham. Now Jotham, again, was a great king who served God and, and followed the ways of God. So you see that Ahaz had a kingdom handed to him that was absolutely phenomenal. It was in great shape. Like it had money, it had power, it had status. It, it was just a great place to be. It was a place of protection, a place of health, a place of healing. He had great teaching. He had godly examples to live by. I mean, really, it's not unlike our churches today. When you look at our churches today and you look at our history, and I think back uh, at Bible College, we did a course and we talked about, you know, the Pentecostal history. 
And it goes, went all the way back. And as you study the history of the church, you see, you see all the things that happened throughout the years. You see how we came out of, uh, you know, Catholicism way back in the beginning. And there was a great reformation by Martin Luther. And with the great reformation, there became this, this stirring of the Spirit. And years later came the holiness movement and great outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And then in Azuzu Street in 1906, where God visited that little warehouse and... and there was great men of God like William Seymour and others and, and the Holy Spirit was poured out and from the Isuzu Street revivals, I mean, it spread literally across the U.S. and Canada, just great outpourings of the Spirit of Almighty God. It was absolutely powerful. So not unlike, you know, the, what was handed down to us, very similar to what was handed down to Ahaz, the king of Israel. And it seemed for a time that we enjoyed this great growth, it seemed that it was, it was the right thing, not only in society, but I mean society. If you, if you were a part of a church, if you attended church, you were known as a good person, you had a good moral standard, there was something about you that was different. Even the law would look at you differently. If you, if you happened to make a mistake, then they would look at these types of things in your life and say, man, like this has been a good, godly living person, so he made a mistake, and we're going to have some grace. And I mean, it was amazing. It seemed that there was a time that, that if you weren't a Christian or if you weren't a, a part of a church or a church family, then you were the odd man out. You were uh, almost an outcast, as it were. So we, we see now with King Ahaz that there seemed to be this deliberate, almost, rebellion. And out of all that he'd learned and all that he'd known, there was a, 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 it, seemed, it seems to me at least that there was a deliberate turning back to the things that God had considered to be unholy, or the things that are totally ungodly, the things that we should never touch. And so he was, he, it was this, this declension that just entered into him, it seemed, and it's like, I'm going to forget about everything of my past, and I'm going to step into all of what the world is offering today. In verse 2, and four, 2 to 4 in this chapter, it says that, Ahaz walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and also made cast idols, worshiping the Baals. And he burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And he sacrificed his sons in the fire, following the detestable practice of the nations the Lord had driven out before them. This talks about basically what it's saying is that, that Ahaz started to make these cast idols. And right away, he would have been taught and known this. In the very early times, when you look back at the Hebrew Scriptures, and you see things like in the book of Exodus chapter 20, where it talks about, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, the Word of God says. We sang that song this morning. He is jealous for me, and he is jealous for you this morning. And you shall have no other gods before you. Yet Ahaz decided that I like what the world is offering there, so I'm going to go after this God. And they started to, to mold and shape these gods for themselves. And then the Bible says that he, he in the, in the uh, NIV, it talks about the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. What this is basically is uh, Moloch. This was the god of, of the Amorites. And Moloch was, was the national, actually, god of the Amorites, okay? He was the national god of the Amorites. Now, everyone in those days uh, that didn't serve God had something called household gods. Their household gods was, you know, a god of fertility or, or you know, a, you know the, the, the god of this and the god of something else. They had all these different gods, but then there was, there was the national god, 
It's kind of like, you know, like your, your national flag or, or the national animal. Well, this was their national god. This was what you were recognized by. Other countries knew about your national god, so to speak. So he goes to this national god of an enemy, and he sacrifices children to these national gods. Now, it's funny because when you look in chapter 27 of Chronicles, you see that Jotham, Ahaz's father, was a very powerful king. They were so powerful that they had actually defeated the Amorites. I mean, this was in King Ahaz's lifetime. He had seen the victory of God. He had seen the things that God had done. He had seen the things that could happen, and he saw the victory of God. He saw the victory, and, and in, really what happened is that his father pretty much plundered the Amorites. They took from them. The Amorites from years and year after year would bring them tribute, would bring them money, and would bring them these things and, and to, to try to, you know, keep the peace with the king sort of, so the king's wrath wouldn't come back on them. And then Ahaz turns back then to what was once defeated. And that happens so often in our church that we, we, we seem to defeat something in our lives and, or, or there's things that we know that, that God has conquered in the past and we see our history and we see the things that have been done and the things that God says, don't touch that or don't do this. And yet we seem to get pulled back toward those things. And, and this, this, this slide happens in our life and we start to go back towards the things and Ahaz steps back into the things that were once defeated trying to get some sort of strength from it because it makes you feel good, because I'm going to go be able to be a little bit better if I have this in my life. But the fact is, folks, it won't be any better. And this declension has been creeping into our churches. It's, it's slipping in slowly, ever so surely, generation after generation. And the things that it seemed at one time that God said was unholy, now we seem to say it's okay. The day is coming, my friends, when every man, woman, and child will stand before an almighty, all-knowing God. And when that day comes, I hope, I hope that I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Today, people would say to you, well, what about your kids? Oh, all the other kids are doing this. All the other kids are doing that. All the other kids are going to these parties. Oh, it's just a part of growing up. I want to tell you something. When those things came to my household, not because, not because I'm some great person, but there was something inside of me that stirred and said, uh-uh. There's something inside of me that said, uh-uh, you are not going to that. No, sir. I don't care how big you think you are. I don't care how old you think you are. I don't care how many friends you got on Facebook. I don't care about Instagram or Twitter. I don't care. You're not going because it's not right. And that's not being dogmatic. That's just simply standing on the Word of God and training your children. We have to stand up for the things that God has called us to stand up for. I am responsible for my children. I am responsible for my house. The day will come when I will stand before God on account of my children. And every one of us in this room, whether you have children or not, you will still be responsible for the people around you. Every one of us has a responsibility. And people would say, well, everyone else is doing it. It seems to be a normal thing. And God spoke to the Israelites and he said, Come out from among them. Be a peculiar people. Be you different 
than the world around you. Don't be what everyone else says you should be. Don't be what society dictates you should be. You see, Ahaz looked at this, these national gods of the Amorites, and they, they were a powerful, they were a powerful kingdom. There's no doubt about it. The Assyrians were powerful. He looked at the, the people around him. They were powerful people. They had some great things going on. They had beautiful daughters and all these types of things, and he was attracted to those things. And we can be no different. We can be attracted to many of these things in the world today. It seems today that we're living in such an hour when everything around us is crumbling. You look around and you watch CNN or if you watch the newscast, it seems that the, the world is tumbling out of control. And you look at the shows that now come on our TVs and it glorifies everything evil. And it's funny because now it seems in our world today that everything that is evil now is called good and everything that is good is now considered to be evil. And the time is coming when we will not be able to come to the house of God like we are this morning. The time is coming when we will not have the opportunity and you know, I, I, I thank God for it because I think at that point God is really going to start to weed out who wants to follow Him. And it was Joshua who stood before the people of Israel and he said, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And today is the chosen day. Today is the day that God wants you to make a choice. Today is the day. God has a plan for, for you, for your family, for your people, for his people. We've got to ask ourselves, what sets the testimony of God apart today from the rest of the world? What, what makes us different? What is the thing that makes us different from the rest of the world? If you read any statistics at all from George Barna or, or any of these guys that do all these different statistics, you'll look at the rates of divorce in churches. We're exactly the same as what it is in the world. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're 50-50 we're, we're right across the board in many areas. That's just one thing. And I, I'm not picking on any particular thing. I'm just saying that these are the things that's happening in the church today. We, we, send, we send more people to counseling now today than we ever sent in the past. And I'm, saying there's any, no, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counseling to a certain degree. But in my life, my life was totally messed up, totally screwed up. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and, and all these different things in my life. And you know what? I mean, there's some things I had to walk through, some things I had to grow through, and some things that I had to talk with people about. But I want to promise you something right now. The Holy Spirit did more in my life in five minutes than any counselor can do in five years. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. That's what the power... When you get on your knees in your prayer closet, and you close that door, and you just... Cry out to God and say, God, I have nothing to offer. I am empty. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I can't do this myself. I need you. And man, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit's going to start at work. The Holy Spirit's going to start at work. I, I, I'm dyslexic, by the way. And being dyslexic in a Newfoundlander is not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> I, I couldn't read. And then some of you have probably heard this story. I'm going to tell it again because it doesn't matter. It's my story, so I'm just going to tell it. I, I couldn't, I was functionally illiterate. I couldn't read. I, I, could, I would stammer over every word. I couldn't, I certainly, I had, did not have the ability or power or, it is impossible for me to do anything like public speaking. This was impossible. 
And Shanda knows, and my family knows. It was impossible. This was, my teachers knew. Believe me, my teachers knew. And one day after I became a Christian, I sat at my table and I just prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And it took many days, by the way. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I was sat, sat at my table one day and I opened the Word of God and I said, Father, I, I had come home from an adult Sunday school class and they had asked me to stand up and read something in that class and I stood up and there was a lot of people there. I mean, probably, I don't know about a lot, but like maybe this, this section here of people all, and I was supposed to stand up and read something. I couldn't do it. I stood up and I stammered over every single word. I, I didn't even get it all read. It was impossible. And I went home and I just, I just wept. I said, Father, you've got to open my mind. You've got to teach me. You've got to show me. And I tell you, man, something unlocked in my brain that day. I'll never forget it. And the power of the Holy Spirit poured down over me. And I started to weep. And all of a sudden, the, God's Word just jumped off the page. It came alive to me. And I could read. And I could read. And the Word was alive. It was life. It was breath. It was everything I needed. And it started to feed me and mold me and shape me. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you don't need Lumosity.com. You need Holy Spirit. Forget Lumosity. You need the Holy Spirit. Over generations, we have been raising our children in churches. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, have we been raising them in Christ? I've heard it time and time and time again, people come up with heartbreaking stories oh, about this person and that person and how they went off the rails and, and how they knew everything about God. Oh, we, we raised them in church, but we didn't raise them in Christ. Man, I tell you, church... Hear my heart on this. Do all that you can to reach your family. Do all that you can to reach your children. Do all that you can. You might look back and say, oh, I wish I had my time back. Well, you can't wish the time back, but you can start today and move forward. And it's a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. It's challenging. Ahaz had, had challenges in his life, no doubt, but then he, he, he gets to this place where he just steps away from the things of God. It seems that we have done very much the same and. In a sense, like Ahaz, we are sacrificing our children to the God of this world. We're allowing them to watch whatever they want to watch on TV. We're, we're giving them their iPhone and saying, oh, you don't have enough data? Oh, let me give you some more data so you can go online and view porn. If you read the statistics, it would shock you. Don't, don't, think, don't think that they're not. The average age for a child that views pornography today is 10 years old. And we're buying our children iPhones and iPads for Christmas. They don't want your presence. They want your presence. They want your time. They don't want your money. They want your time. Ahaz had a great example. But I can just imagine, work, 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 work. When you're running a kingdom, it's probably a fair bit of work. Dad probably wasn't in the picture a whole lot. I love my dad. My dad was a great man, man of God, preached the word for years and years and years, traveled lots he was as an evangelist. But I was glued to my dad when I was a little kid. I was glued to him. And when I was in 
elementary school, a very young age. I, I want to say it was about probably grade two, grade one, grade two, somewhere in there. My dad had, had been out of ministry for several years due to some health problems. I didn't know about the previous ministry he had spent years in. And God had done great revivals and great works in, in his ministry. I didn't know anything about this. And all of a sudden, when I'm in grade two or so, my dad goes back into the ministry. And the person that I always looked up to was no longer around. And in those days, the, the, the mentality was that you burn yourself out for God. And my dad will be gone for weeks on end. A minimum of two weeks at a time. But it could have been four weeks or five weeks or, or longer. It didn't, didn't seem to matter. And all of a sudden, the father figure that was in my life was no more. And then one day, a friend of mine introduced me to pornography. And my life started to roll downhill. It was just a snowball effect of everything else and all these different things that, that comes into a young person's life when the dad is not present in the home. And Ahaz would have had the same type of thing. You see, when we allow these things to happen, when we don't guard our homes, when we don't have balance in our lives, we're sacrificing our children. Oh, we'll let the school teach them about morality. We'll let the school teach them about sex. We'll let the school teach them about alternative lifestyles. We'll let, we'll let the TV shows tell them that this stuff is normal. My friend, it is not. Anything that God declares in His Word is unholy is still unholy. No matter how you paint it, no matter how you cover it up, no matter how you try to dress it up, it, listen, if God says it's not right, it's not right. And you are the leader of your household. And I fear that we've sacrificed the generation. In Ahaz's time, the nation had sunken into this depravity. The prosperity was gone. The families were in captivity. As we read the chapter, you can see the families were taken away. The children were gone. The wives were gone. I mean, there must have been such a time of great mourning. And the same in our churches across our nation today. I believe that, that we're, we're, we're entering a time when we're not going to be able to understand. It seems like that there's a, a sweeping away of the godly things. That our children are being swept away. That, that they're, they're, the God of this world seems to be overpowering. And we seem to say, oh, it's okay because everyone else is doing it. And in verse 16, King Ahaz turns to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria who was defeated, who once brought tribute to Israel. And he's frantic at this point. And it looked like a good idea. I'll, get, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. And I'll take, and, and what, what blows my mind here is that it seems to me that Ahaz, in verse 21 says, Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the princes and presented them to the king of Assyria. But it didn't help him. And you know, it seems to be so typical of what we do today is that we, we seem to take some of the things that are godly and we try to mix those godly things with some of the things that are of the world. And we say, this will help. Let me ask you something. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? It's probably not going very well, is it? It's not, it doesn't work, folks. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. In verse 20 to 24, we see, it says that Ahaz was, was just frantic at this point. 
It reminds me of what happened in 1 Kings chapter 18 when the prophets of Baal were standing on Mount Carmel with Elijah, the man of God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. And the Bible says that, that the people of the world, the, the prophets of Baal were standing there and they were screaming and shouting and prophesying frantically and cutting themselves and doing all of these things to try to invoke the power of God. And in many of our churches around the nation today, People come together and they dance and they sing and they do this and they do that, all trying to invoke the power of God. But there's a form of godliness the Apostle Paul talked about when he spoke to Timothy. And he said there's a form of godliness but denying its power. But remember what Paul said. He said that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but a matter of power. And when the power of God enters in, Everything changes. King Ahaz had the history. He had the background. And if only in that moment he would have said, no, no, I remember something from my grandfather. I remember the stories of what God did. I remember what my dad told me before about the great victories when we were sitting around the table. And if at that moment he would have humbled himself and said, God, I've been going the wrong way. I've, I've really messed up. I've led your people astray. I've, I've, I've done things I shouldn't have done. But instead, he says, no, no. Being, you know, the alpha male, well, I can fix it myself. And I'll try something else. And he takes the things from the temple of God. And the Bible says in verse 22, in the time of the trouble, Ahaz became even more unfaithful to God. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus who he had defeated him. For he thought, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them so, many, so they will help me. But they were his downfall. And it seems today that we keep sacrificing to the gods of this world. We keep, we keep trying to keep up with the Joneses and it's sucking, it's depleting our finances. It's, it's killing our families. We can't do this or we can't do that and we're always trying to, to keep up with somebody else. We're always trying to be a part of something that we know we shouldn't be a part of. There's something witnessing in your spirit when you go to these places and these things that, that start to unravel in your life and you're like, whoa. You know you know, because there's a witness of the Holy Spirit. But the sad thing is, is that after a while, same as Ahaz, there comes a time when all the things that you tried to do doesn't work and your mind becomes darkened. And that's what happened to Ahaz. In Romans chapter 1, you'll see that the Bible says that God gave them over to their futile thinking. God gave them over and their minds were darkened. And this is what happened to King Ahaz. He had continued in sin. And rather than turning away, rather than turning to God at some point, he continued to in his detestable practices. And when we continue in the practices that the Holy Spirit has been warning us about, the time will come when our minds will be darkened and we'll just be like everybody else and say it's normal. Ahaz strips away the things of God's house in hopes that the next idea will rescue him. And in many ways, I fear that in our churches across our nation in the U.S., and we've, we, we've done a lot of things. We, we've, we, in some places, I'm not saying the idea, because I, I know Lance and Cindy and 
they're an amazing couple, and, and Hayward and Evie, just, I, we just love them. We know their hearts. But I, I tell you that we're seeing a, a slide towards bringing in the things of the world to try to get people to come to church. So let's not talk about the blood of Jesus anymore because it's going to offend somebody. Let's not talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues because we don't want to offend somebody. Let's make sure that, that we don't, don't just, just be, uh, you know, be really, really good about how we do things so that we don't offend somebody. We keep trying to, to strip away the cross, strip away the blood of Jesus, strip away the sacrifice of, of, of all of these things. We keep trying to strip these things away and pull these things away in hopes that we can accommodate some of the world. It doesn't work. And the world is outside and they're saying, you don't look any different. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not saying that physically, but inside there's that, there's that nagging ache for the power of the Holy Spirit. Inside there's the nagging ache to be set free, to be delivered, to be, to, to be pulled out of the miry clay, as the old hymn writer once said. To be set free. Nahaz strips away the things of God. We keep running, you see, to all these things. You know, we sh uh, everyone here should write a self-help book. Just one-liners. You'd make a fortune. I heard one, one guy that, that wrote this book, and one of the one-liner things he has is that when you stand in a quiet place and you open your mind, there is nothing. Did you have to get someone to write that for you or did you come up with that on your own? <laughs> this guy's making a fortune. And people are running to it. People are running to it. They're running. And they're running to it. The, the, the world has never been so ripe for spiritual things in our, in our lifetime. And the world is ripe for spiritual things. And, and it seems like the church is going in the opposite direction. We, we, we can't go in the opposite direction. We need to be running towards God. We can't abandon the prayer meeting. We, we, we can't abandon prayer in our lives. Listen, there's no substitute. I mean, prayer meeting is a good thing, yes. And you need to be a part of prayer meeting. It's, it, it brings strength. But man, I tell you, do not abandon the prayer closet. Like, people don't, I, I don't, I, I talk to pastors many times and and I asked the question, well, so what's your prayer life like? And they said, well, it really doesn't exist. It doesn't work. You can't do anything in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And, like, and then it, here's what it says as we continue down. And I'm going to close with this. In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him. For he thought, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them, so maybe they'll help me. But this was the downfall of him and Israel. And verse 24, Ahaz gathered together all the furnishings from the temple of God and took them away. And he shut the doors of the Lord's temple. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple. 
It was a physical act. And for us today, as we continue to strip down the things of God and we say that, that this is okay or that's okay, then effectively we are shutting the door to God's temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we let those things into our life, it'll rob us of our strength. It'll rob us of the power of God. And we will be just like everybody else. And we're effectively shutting the doors of the temple. We are to be a light unto the world. I think we're out of time. I'm going to just finish with this right here. In chapter 29, we see that Hezekiah, King Hezekiah comes on the scene. And Hezekiah must have knew something of his grandfather. Obviously, he would have, probably. Hezekiah was a great king. Again, you see the flip-flop back and forth. And there's a couple of verses that really stood out to me. In, the, in, in chapter 29, verse 3, it says that in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Folks, there has to come a time of repair. I want to tell you that there's some things that maybe you've let creep into your life. There's just some things that you've stepped into that you know. You know that the Holy Spirit has still been talking to you about it. It has to come a time of repair. Repair is messy sometimes. It takes a lot of work. It doesn't happen overnight. It won't happen in one service. And then it says, after they had repaired this, they had to remove some things. There's some things that you might have in your home. Maybe some things that you've been watching, some things that you've allowed into your home that you need to ask yourself, does this really honor God? Because the Bible says that he had to remove the defilement from the sanctuary. And he talks about it in verse 7. He says they also, he talks about, you know, his father before him. He says they shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. Here's, here's what I want to bring out last. It's the very last thing I'm going to say and then we're going to close. The Bible says that they put out the lamps. The lamps or the menorahs and those different things they would be burning in the holy place in the holy of holies. The lamps were to give that light. It was the place where the, holy, where the Spirit of God was. And the Bible says when, when you look at the, the role of the, the Levites and the priests, their job, one of the jobs was the lamps were never to go out. That the fire on the altar was to be continually burning. And they had forsaken the things of God and the lamps of God had gone out. And in Revelation chapter 2 we get a warning. It says, What have you done? You have forsaken your first love. Do what you did at first. And it goes on to say that if you do not do what you did at first, then I will remove your lampstand. What that simply speaks to us is this, is that if we do not get back to the things of God, then the light of God will be snuffed out. And when the light of God is snuffed out, there is no hope. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. 
Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.